Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. There's a lady named Isabel. And Isabel was born into the sex trade. As long as she could remember, life consisted of meeting demands of whatever client may have happened to walk in. And she always felt so powerless in front of them, and so she complied with every command. She knew that there was something wrong in life, but wasn't sure that there were any other ways to live. This is what she'd always known. This is reality. It is what it is, so deal with it. And she would have stayed there in that slavery until it killed her if a man hadn't shown up in the brothel asking for her by name. Now, this wasn't unusual. Client referrals were uh, a big part of business. Um, But she didn't recognize this man. And his dress and his accent indicated that he was not a local and he wasn't from anywhere she'd ever heard of. They took a private room and she drew the curtains. Life goes on, she thought. But this man stopped her and asked her a question that nobody had ever asked her before. Do you trust me? And the answer, of course, was no. But the man persisted. He told her that if she would return to his home and be his wife alone, then she would have the full rights to inherit his land and all of the riches that he possessed. It was a productive land, um, and he was, he was a rich man, and, and such a proposal was really unheard of in her country, that a woman could inherit land, much less a woman that was a prostitute. He asked again, Do you trust me? She wavered. Could such a life outside of this one even exist? And what about her friends here? But something in him told her that he was unlike anyone she had ever met. There was an honesty in his eyes that was deeper than the slightly foreign shape of his face. She agreed. The man walked out of the door and proceeded out of the brothel. He returned immediately with a heap of wealth beyond her imagination. She'd never seen so much money. And he spoke frankly with the owner, saying that he would be taking Isabel and she would not be returning. He did not wait for a response. He gathered his betrothed and they left together on the long and winding journey to his home. And it was as fantastic as he had described And Isabel was having difficulty processing this new freedom that she found outside of the walls of her former prison. She fully expected her fiancé to be as demanding as the clients she had grown accustomed to, but he refused to touch her until they had been properly wed at home. He was kind and gentle and generous, and she found herself constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop. The wedding was nice, and though it was clear that the family was uncomfortable with her background, they had enough respect for him to treat her well. She had a new life that she could have never even imagined. It was Facebook perfect. 
She understood with painful clarity the dysfunction in her former life and wondered if she had even lived before this at all. But there was something else, a persistent and old itch. She had met men in town. And they raised her eyebrows knowing where she had come from, but out of respect for her husband, she kept their distance. But she, however, did not. She pursued them. As many as she could seduce. And the powerlessness that she had felt before had been replaced with an insatiable lust. She was the one in control now. The rules of the game were hers to change. Or so she thought... And her husband knew from the beginning what was happening. He would remind her of his kindness to her and her promise to him that she would trust him and be his wife alone. There was shame on her part initially, but after a while she told him, I am your wife alone. I'm not marrying any of these other guys. We're just fooling around. But eventually she stopped coming home at all. And he would send her letters asking her to return to him. At first she'd read them before throwing them away, but it wasn't too long before the delivery of a letter from him would prompt a violent response. She would immediately rip it up and throw it in the fire. She didn't want to hear what he had to say. She was his wife, like she had promised, and he had given her everything, like he had promised. She knew his heart. She knew he was kind and patient and generous. She knew about the respect that everyone had for him, and so she wouldn't stop. She couldn't stop. This new freedom, if you could call it that, was all that she had imagined and ever really wanted, but it always left her thirsty. So I'm going to tell you now at at the start that this is a parable. It's a, a... concrete story that explains a spiritual truth. But what would your response be if the person telling you this parable said that this is about you? That you are Isabel? Let's pray together. Jesus, your word is... is, is difficult sometimes for us to hear. And it's hard for us to work through. God, we, we only know the life that we've lived until you show us something greater beyond it. And so as we dig through these difficult texts, Lord, would you give us the patience to hear you out and what you have to say, the promises that you continue to give and how you pursue us despite ourselves. Lord Jesus, would you be here this day, and would you give us the grace to hear your word? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Uh, Pastor Todd started our new series last week, starting in Jeremiah chapter 1. So this morning we're going to continue in Jeremiah chapter 2. verses, uh, or chapter 2 through chapter 4. We're going to do 
uh, three chapters this morning. So there's going to be a lot of reading. We're not going to read the whole thing, but we are going to do a lot of reading together. So it's going to be helpful for you to follow along in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, I've got a couple up here that I can give you. Do you like one? And it's on page 510 in that Bible. And, and, and Pastor Todd reminded us, showed us from Jeremiah chapter 1, that God calls us to communicate His Word on our streets. And this morning, as we look in the next few chapters, we'll see that God wants to clean up the meanest streets, even those who used to know Him. So if you join me in Jeremiah chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 1. Verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt, and disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. So at the beginning here we see that the word of the Lord is going to Jerusalem. Now, what is Jerusalem? The city? I hear, I hear people whispering. There's a, it's a city? What's important about the city? I can't hear your whispers now. There's too many words. <laughs> it's where the temple is. It's the capital city of God's nation. This is the heart of what's going on. And so this is, this is the first word. I remember your, your youth, your love as a bride. I remember God went and sought these people and made them for himself. He came from a faraway place and introduced himself. They didn't know who he was. He came to Abraham and said, you don't know me, but I need you to follow me. And he took Abraham out of the slavery of worshiping multiple gods and says, I am the one true God. I will give you life. Trust me. Walk with me. And he starts this new nation. And so that's where the message starts. I remember what our life was together, but it continues in verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, which is another way of saying Israel, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, where is the Lord who has brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through where no man dwells? And I brought you to a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handled the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Therefore I contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children I will contend. For cross to the coasts of Cyprus and see, or send to Kedar and examine with care. See if there has ever been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods even though they are no gods? 
But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold the water. So I brought you to this place, and you forgot me. I brought you to this land to bless you and to give you, a, to make you into a light to all nations that I am the true God, that these other gods aren't gods, and you turn around and forgot. Worse than that, he's saying in, um, in verse 13, worse than that, they not only forgot, they rejected him. I choose not to follow the one true and living God, the powerful one, and instead I will turn and make my own gods. The imagery here is amazing. Forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, fresh water springing up in the desert like a fire hydrant, refreshing, clean, but instead you've hewn out cisterns for themselves. What this is is a hole in the ground. They would, they would take and they would dig a big hole in the ground, like a, a well, but it wouldn't be as deep. And they would cover the inside with clay so that the water wouldn't leak out. And then when, when it rained, all of the water would rush in there and it would collect. And so you have a cistern. You have water that's relatively fresh, depending on how long it's been sitting there. Um, and, and you can drink. But these are broken cisterns. You carve for yourselves cisterns, they're busted, they don't hold water, and the water that's left in the bottom is dirty, dank, nasty, is gross. You rejected the fountain of living water for a puddle of mud, and that's what you're going to drink. When he puts it in these words, we're like, why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. This is spiritual adultery. The meanest streets we'll see are full of religious people. People that knew God, who had an interaction with God, whose parents had an amazing experience of walking with God through a river on dry land, through a sea on dry land. And they said, ah, he, he's just as good as this guy that I can carve myself. This is spiritual adultery. God has come and brought them and, and asked them to be his bride. Will you marry yourself just to me? And they say, uh, sure, I guess. But there's also this other stuff that is intriguing to me. You look in verse 8. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? The priests can't recognize that God isn't there. They don't even know to ask the question. We're just doing our thing, and we're doing it, and we're doing it according to the right rules, and it's happening, and that's what our job is. But they never stop and ask, is God in this? And they don't recognize that he's not, that he left. Those who handle the law don't know me. They forgot about me. They don't even know what I'm like. Shepherds, the people that are supposed to be leading the people and following God have transgressed him. They've gone against him. But they're still doing that religious activity. Not only are they religious, but they're in denial about the physical, or they're in denial about the spiritual adultery. If you look in chapter 2, verse 20, 
chapter 2, verse 20 through 25. For long ago I broke your yoke and burst your bonds. I set you free. You said, I will not serve. Yes, on every high hill and under every green tree you bow down like a whore. Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord. How can you say, I am not unclean? I have not gone after the balls. Look at your way in the valley. Know what you have done. A restless young camel running here and there. A wild donkey in the wilderness in her heat sniffing the wind. Who can restrain her lust? None who seek her need weary themselves, but in her month they will find her. Keep your feet from going unshod and your throat from thirst. But you said it is hopeless. For I I have loved foreigners and after them I will go. So I set you free. I burst your bonds. I brought you out of slavery. And you turn around and left. And now you're saying there's not a problem. I'm not serving the balls. I'm serving you. I mean, I'm doing that on the side, but, but I'm, I'm, we're offering sacrifices in the temple. We're doing all the religious stuff that you told us to do. Like, we're, I'm faithful. I'm doing the stuff. The ritual. Verse 23, I'm not unclean. So there's that spiritual adultery And then there's that bodily denial. We see that the spiritual reality starts to affect the real world, or the the world, that visible world that we can see. If you look down to verse uh, 33, chapter 2, verse 33, how well you direct your course to seek love so that even wicked women have taught you your, or you have taught your ways. Also on your skirts is found the lifeblood of the guiltless poor. You did not find them breaking in. Yet in spite of all these things, you say, I am not, or I am innocent. Surely his anger has turned from me. Behold, I will bring judgment to you for saying, I have not sinned. So, so all of this spiritual adultery is happening between the people and God. It's just, it's a vertical thing. Like me and God, like we're sorting this stuff out. It's just that. But if you think that your relationship with God doesn't affect your relationship with the other people around you, you're wrong. How you relate to God will directly impact the way that you can have relationships with other people. Because it says, while all of this is going on, Verse 34, also on your skirts is found the lifeblood of the guiltless poor. They are taking advantage of the people who cannot defend themselves. The guiltless poor. And these aren't people that are breaking in and stealing to like sustain themselves. They're poor, yes, but they're not breaking into their house. They're just poor. And on your skirts is their blood. You start to devalue human life. You start to devalue human relationships when your relationship with God is in denial. When you've convinced yourself that you and God are straight and you've done all the right things. Don't miss that these are religious people. These are people who are, are, are going, quote-unquote, to church, and they're offering the sacrifices. They know the stories about how God worked in the past, and they apply those stories to themselves, even though in the backyard they're worshiping other gods. 
And our streets, our streets here today are full of religious people. There are tons of people who will identify themselves when you start to talk about Jesus or you start to talk about what God is doing in the church. They'll say, well, I'm a Christian. They'll say, I go to church, or they'll say, I I used to go to church. Those statements, though, are smoke screens. I know what you're getting at, but I don't want to talk about what's really going on between me and God. I'm going to keep you at an arm's end. So how do we, in our streets, interact with those people? Well, the first thing is you've got to build some kind of a relationship with them. They're not going to take you seriously if you don't have the authority to speak in their life. And beyond that, you ask clarifying questions. When people throw up those smoke screens, they're just that. They're smoke. And so if you start to poke it, it it goes away. So somebody, you're trying to tell people about Jesus, you're talking about what God is doing in the church, and they're, oh, well, I'm a Christian. Well, what what does it mean that you're a Christian? What does that mean to you? I I, I go to church. Cool, well, how are you serving? How are you walking with Jesus in your church? I'd really be interested to see how God's working in your body. There's a very, very, very real difference between knowing God and knowing of God. The demons can quote scripture faster than any pastor in in the West. The demons know who God is, but they do not know Him. They do not have that relationship with Him that changes who we are. And so there are people in our streets who know of God and who think and have deceived themselves into thinking that we're straight and they don't know Him for who He is. That relationship hasn't changed them. The meanest streets are full of religious people, but the meanest streets can still be cleaned up by God. Let's look in in chapter 3. In verse 6. And this is going to be a little bit confusing. I'm going to have to explain some history when we get done with this. So just stick with me until we get through this passage. I'm going to read verses 6 through 11. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, that faithless one, Israel? How she went up on every high hill and under every green tree and there played the whore? And I thought, after she has done all this, she will return to me. This is God talking. But she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear. But she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart. But in pretense, declares the Lord, And the Lord said to me, Faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. So what's happening here is God called and created a single nation. And then there's a whole long story about how the politics got convoluted and messed up and people sinned and the the, the nation got split into two. So this one people of Israel got split into what's called the Northern Kingdom, which they kept the name Israel. 
and the southern kingdom that was also called Judah. So you have the one people split into two, Israel and Judah. And so God judges Israel, the northern kingdom, the, 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 the top half, and says, look, y'all are not following me. Like, this is, this is bad news, and I'm going to judge you. And he does. The Assyrians come in and, and, and take them off and carry them off. And so Judah, the southern kingdom, sees this. They see how God is judging his people when they're adulterous to him. And they, what? Come to him in pretense. Verse 10. They, they've changed some of their religious outward expressions of worship in pretense. There was spiritual reforms in the day of Jeremiah. Things were going well, remember? Money was coming in. Um, King Josiah had led these, these reforms, and they were, getting re they, were, they were restoring the temple. They were getting that cleaned up, and they were doing the religious acts. But they retained the high hills, the, the other idols, the other altars where they would worship these other gods. So even though... They saw God's judgment. They didn't actually change. And so God concludes, Faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Like, he's saying at least Israel, like, stuck to it. They said, no, we've rejected God, and we're just going to go down that path. No games. God's saying, look, they knew what they were walking into, and they just followed through. But you, Judah, you're pretending. You're, you're faking it. You're saying, yeah, oh God, you know, we repent. We're totally following after you. We, and God's like, get real. At least be what you're doing. Like, don't pretend like you're not cheating on me. Get it straight. Look at verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 12. Go and proclaim these words to the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Verse 13, only acknowledge your guilt, that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among the foreigners under every green tree, and that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. Hey! Acknowledge your guilt. Get real. Say, God, I know this is sin. I know I'm messing up here. I know that this is not what you created me to be. And he gives this promise. In verse 15. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And when you have multiplied and increased in the land, in those days, declares the Lord, they shall no more say the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed. It shall not be made again. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord and the nations shall gather to it, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem. And they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. In those days, the house of Judah shall join in the house of Israel, unified. 
And together they shall come from the land of the north to the land I gave your fathers as an heritage. There's a restoration that he's promising. Look, get real and get restored. When he's talking about the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, this was a golden box and it was super pretty. And they put the Ten Commandments in it. They put all this other stuff. It was like, a, it was like the most expensive um, Bible cover ever. You've got a cover on your Bible? Like that's what the Ark of the Covenant was. But the cool thing about what God did with that is there were some angels on top and there was a seat there. And God put his manifest presence there. God, in a very special way, lived on top of this box. So he's saying, look, when I restore you, when all of this comes back, they're not even going to talk about the box. It's not important because my presence won't be on that box. They're not even going to think about it because my presence is going to be manifest in the people. The city will be my throne. So how do we get there? In chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, read with me. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. So get real. Acknowledge this is sin. God promises this awesome restoration, but he says before you get there, there's a repentance that has to happen. He says, circumcise the foreskin of your hearts. And that's really awkward for us to talk about in the modern age, but we're going to do it. So circumcision in that time to these people was super special because it was the way that they identified who was in and who was out. Remember God brought Abraham out of, out of paganism and worshiping multiple gods, says, you're going to worship only me? The way that he said that people are going to know that you worship me is by circumcision. And I don't really want to know like, how that identifying went on in the public square, but it did. But, but that's how they knew. That's how they knew that you were a part of God's people, Right? And this is a big deal to them. Like, they are, they are emphatic. Like, you have to circumcise your sons. If you don't, then you get kicked out. And there's all of this big thing. And he's saying, look, that is a picture of a spiritual truth. And you're focused on the picture. And you will live and you will die for the picture. And you don't even know that the spiritual truth isn't there. Stop worrying about the physical expression of worship. And come to the heart of it. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Don't belong to me in just a bodily way. I want your heart. I want your spirit. I want you to come to me in honesty and say, God, I know I'm sinning here. Get real with God. Acknowledge your sin before him. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Turn away from that sin and walk to him. Follow in the path that he is leading you in. See, religious observances. We're super good at these and there's a, a ton of examples that I could give. And when I say religious observances, there are probably four or five examples that come to your mind immediately. But listen, religious observances without the change of the heart by the Spirit of God is dead. The most, the, 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 the religious activity that you love the most and that you feel the closest to God, whether it's singing songs or, or doing communion, if you do that and your heart isn't changed by the Spirit of God, it's dead. Not just like, 
it's <laughs> I'm trying to think of, an, of another way to communicate like n almost dead no 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 this is dead like it's, it's of no value if your heart's not being changed by God by it we do these outward expressions to remind our heart of what God is doing in us because does that, does that, there's, there's a shift. It's backwards. Because sometimes we like to think that if I do the religious stuff, if I go to church, if I put my money in the plate, then God will just be happy with me and we're good. But God doesn't just want your religious expression of worship. He wants your heart. He does, he's not content to just have your, your faithfulness in doing a thing that doesn't mean anything to how you live your life Monday through Saturday. Because we can put on a good show for two hours Sunday morning, which is, which is mind-boggling to me because the morning is the least time that I'm able to put on a show. But he's after our hearts. Religion and routine, these things are comfortable to us, but what fills them is what gives them substance and meaning. If they're empty, they're dead, they're of no value, you're wasting your time, and you'd be better off not coming here on Sunday morning and wasting your time than to go do what you want to do. Be straight. Get real. God, my heart's not coming before you. Then go fishing. Don't come and fake it. He wants your heart. So we can identify this really, really easily in other people and we can do the amen thing when there's other people, but I'm asking you to look at yourself. What are the religious routines that are stuck in your heart where the spiritual truth should be dwelling? These things are useful to us, but only as reminders of what God is doing internally. I won't camp there anymore. Let's continue. The meanest streets are full of religious people. The meanest streets can still be cleaned up by God. The meanest streets have urgent needs that they cannot meet themselves. Let's read in uh, Jeremiah chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. Or no, no, we're going to read verse 6. Let's read verse 6 together. Raise a standard towards Zion. Zion's another name for Jerusalem. Raise a standard towards Zion. Flee for safety. Stay not, for I bring disaster from the north and great destruction. So stop there. Destruction's coming. He talked about it in chapter 1. Pastor Todd addressed it last week. Like, there's something coming from the north and it's going to kill you. And he's saying, look, don't stay in the city. Get out. This is bad news, which is crazy because remember, these are really, really good times. And, there, and there's religious reforms going on and, you know, we're at the church and we're worshiping and, and the worship leaders got us hopped up on that gospel music. You know what I mean? But he's saying, no, 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 get out of Zion. Get out of Jerusalem. There's destruction coming. Look at verse 9 in chapter 4. In that day, declares the Lord, courage shall fail both king and official. The priests shall be appalled and the prophets astounded. He's saying get out and everybody's going to be shocked when it happens. All the leaders are going to be like, what? We didn't see this coming. 
And, Jer and this is where Jeremiah is so cool because he gets in there with God. Verse 10, Then I said, Jeremiah is speaking to God, Ah, Lord God, surely you have utterly deceived this people in Jerusalem, saying it shall be well with you, whereas the sword has reached their very life. But, but, but Jer So Jeremiah is saying, Hey God, you promised that you were going to take care of these people. That was part of the condition of you coming out. Remember, you're kind and you're generous and you're awesome and like you take care of people. Like, Don't forget you said that to us. And God's saying, Hey, look, I take your sin seriously. And if you don't quit it, I'm going to bring the judgment. It's going to happen. It's coming. So here's a candid warning. He's, he's obvious about it. Like he's saying, look, this is coming. He sent this prophet Jeremiah, who's, who's really wrestling with the message, by the way. Look at that. He's really wrestling with the message of what God called him to say. And, he's, and God is saying, look, I'm giving you Jeremiah. He's telling you that this is coming. And that is my grace. When it comes and you're shocked, that's not because I didn't tell you it was coming. It's because you didn't listen when I showed up. You ripped up the letters and threw them in the fire before you had a chance to read them. Because you can't... You see this, this judgment... And you're like, God, you're so destructive. Why, does he, why do you have to be so mean sometimes? Why can't you just leave us alone? Like, isn't God love? Like, doesn't he, shouldn't he just love us all the time? Shouldn't we always be happy and just have butterflies? And God's like, no, you have to deal with your sin. And this is breaking my heart. This, look at verse 19. My anguish, my anguish. I writhe in pain. Oh, the walls of my heart. My heart is beating wildly. I cannot keep silent, for I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Crash follows hard on crash. The whole land is laid to waste. Suddenly my tents are laid to waste, my curtains in a moment. How long must I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? For my people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are, quote, unquote, wise in doing evil. But they do not know. But how to do good, they know not. God is, God is like, look, I'm sending you my judgment, and I, my heart is broken to watch this happen. You are my people. Those are my tents. Those are my curtains. I've set you up. I've established you. I've given you this good land, and it breaks my heart to watch you go through the judgment that you've brought upon yourself. He's a compassionate heart. And, and, and what's mind-boggling to me in verse 23 this, this picture of utter desolation. I looked on the earth and behold, it was without form and void. When was the last time in scripture that you remember without form and void being used? In Genesis chapter 1. So this is, this is like, hey look, there's utter destruction coming and it's going to be so bad, it's going to be like before I even started ordering the world, before I started creation. That's what you're going back to. I have to scrub this place clean to get rid of your sin that you refuse to deal with in this time that I've given you of grace. I... I looked on the earth, and, and behold, it was without form and void, and the, to the heavens, and they had no light. I looked on the mountains, and behold, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and behold, there was no man, and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and behold, the fruitful land was a desert, and all its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. 
Verse 27, For thus says the Lord, The whole land shall be a desolation. Yet, I will not make a full end. For this earth shall mourn, and the heavens above be dark. For I have spoken, I have purposed, I have not relented, nor will I turn back. Even in this utter destruction, this angry wrath of God on sin, and the sin of His people, I'm going to destroy you, and it's going to look like I hit the reset button on the world. Yet I will not make a full end. I love this about how God communicates through His Word. He says these things about how terrible we are and how we've screwed up ourselves and how we've ruined the world and how we're only living for ourselves. And then He drops a yet in the sentence and He inserts Himself in this story. Yet I will not make a full end. He still has a plan for these people. See, God knows that only He can save us, and He wants to. He knows that we're the cause of our problems. He knows that He's going to judge that sin, and He knows that He can save us, and only He can save us if we trust Him. He wants to clean up the meanest streets, even those who used to know Him. It's, it's one thing if you have no exposure to God, and, and no one's ever told you what He's like, and you, it's just kind of this amorphous idea, and you're living your life for yourself. That makes perfect sense. But what if you knew God in a way that could be described as, in a metaphor as marriage, an intimate relationship, and you turned your back and said, No. I can dig better wells for myself. And you're drinking the mud of the water and thinking it's great, everything's fine. So our, our uh, for so if you don't follow Jesus, if you're not a believer, like this is this is what he's saying, like there is destruction coming, it is coming and it's real, and there's nothing that you can do. You cannot meet this need, but I have already met it in my Son, Jesus Christ. And if you turn to me and you trust me, if you will be faithful to me and follow me, I will call you out of that slavery and I will give you a life beyond what you can imagine. You, you've lived your whole life there and you think that's all there is and you don't even know what's in the other land. And he's offering to take you there. But if you've already started to follow Jesus and you trust Him for that salvation, you're walking with Him, you're looking around as He's called us to bring His Word to our streets and you're seeing these people who may have deceived themselves into thinking that they're straight with God. Will you have the same compassionate heart to give a candid warning? Will you spend the time to get to know people and have the relationship to be able to say that sexual sin that you're living in, I know you think that things are straight with God, but that's going to be a problem for you if you don't acknowledge what that is. Stop pretending that things are cool with you and God while you're worshiping the Baals in the backyard. And people are not going to be receptive to that, even if you do have a relationship. It's going to be difficult, and it's, they're never going to change unless the Holy Spirit works on them. So will you have the compassionate heart to pray for them, pray that God would be working in them, and would you have the boldness 
to give those candid warnings as the Spirit allows you the opportunity. Because God wants to clean up the meanest streets, the ones that are full of those religious people that think they've got it together. He wants to. And the fascinating, crazy part about our God is He wants to use us to do that. He sends Jeremiah to a people where everything's going great. He says, y'all are whores. He's not pulling punches. He takes it seriously. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.